Good morning. If we haven't met yet, then hello. I'm Hannah, and I'd love to say hi properly over a donut later on. Today, we are going to be looking at the next little bit of Luke, picking up from where Toby left off last week when he asked us, what kind of tree are we? One of the themes that we've seen come up over and over in Luke so far is authority. And there is an undercurrent of authority in today's passage. But that's not our direct focus today. And so I'd highly encourage you to take a listen to Morag's Authority Part 1 sermon from February, if you haven't already. She gives a great explanation of what Jesus' authority looks like and what that means for us today. I know we say it quite a lot, but if you have missed any of these sermons, I highly recommend that you look them up and take a listen. This Luke series has been pretty excellent. Find them on the website at kingdomvineyard.com forward slash listen, or search Kingdom Vineyard on Spotify or any other podcast platform, and you'll find them there, ready for you each week. You could even set up notifications. Now I feel like I've written a social media caption. Let us continue on. My friend Emily is now going to come and read today's passage. If you have a Bible or Bible device, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. It'll also appear on the screen to follow along with. Jesus heals a centurion's servant. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. 
and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. Thanks, Emily. For those of you who like a title, today's talk is called A Compassionate Heart and a Fruitful Faith. Firstly, we're going to look at the examples of compassion from the centurion and from Jesus in these stories. To end, we'll consider what it looks like to have a fruitful faith. So, to begin, a compassionate heart. In both of these stories, someone was moved with compassion towards another. In the case of Jesus with the widow's son, it was written clearly, Luke writes that his heart went out to her, or in another translation, he had compassion on her. For the centurion, it's less clear. Luke doesn't write that he had compassion on him, as in the story about Jesus. However, the centurion's actions that we read about do suggest an attitude and posture of compassion. Firstly, this servant was called highly valued. A centurion was in charge of a hundred soldiers, and yet he still had time to be concerned with the livelihood of his servant. In a time where, under Roman law, a master had the right to kill his slave and was somewhat expected to do so if the slave could no longer complete his work, the actions of this centurion set him apart. Rather than letting this servant die, the centurion took a risk. It's this risk that is the second reason I see compassion in the centurion's actions. In choosing to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant, he made a public declaration of who he thought Jesus to be. This was a risk that many of Jesus' contemporaries weren't willing to take. They weren't prepared to declare Jesus' authority. And yet this centurion, a Gentile, was willing to risk his reputation and standing for the sake of this servant. Why do you think someone would be prepared to take this risk? The centurion considered this risk to be worthwhile because of the compassion he felt towards his servant. He cared, and it was from this place of caring that the centurion acted. In the second story from today's passage, we read about Jesus also feeling compassion towards the widow as he watched the funeral procession outside the town gates. The word compassion used in this instance means to be moved as to one's bowels and therefore to be moved with compassion. Not just to do something compassionately, but to physically feel the compassion. No, before you start to worry, I'm not about to start talking about bowel movements. But at this point in history, the bowels were thought to be the place where love and pity were felt, as well as strong emotions like anger. Remember this, we'll come back to it later on. We still talk of being gutted or having a gut feeling. It's a language we use today. 
But as well as that, there's also some kind of physical feeling linked with the emotion of compassion. It's a whole body experience, not just a surface feeling. In verse 13, when Jesus looked upon the crowds outside Nain, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. This calls to mind Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Plain, where he said, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. As Jesse said last month, God is calling people who are experiencing actual physical economic poverty, hunger, mourning, or even mistreatment on account of being a Christian. People are in that spot right now, and Jesus wants you to know he's got you. He's got your back. The two stories we read today are the first things that Jesus encounters after finishing his Sermon on the Plain. And in true Jesus fashion, he immediately puts his teaching into practice. It's the sort of thing we see throughout the Gospel. Jesus uses a show and tell, or a tell and show teaching method. And today is a perfect example of tell and show. So what does Jesus do? He sees a woman overcome with grief because she is now alone in the world, widowed and now burying her son. You could call her an orphaned parent. She's particularly vulnerable, alone in a male-dominated society. On seeing her, Jesus can't just watch. Moved with compassion, he comforts. Do not weep. I picture Jesus gently approaching the widow, sensitively joining the funeral procession. He says to her in a soft voice, do not weep. In that moment, while the other mourners can't hear what's going on, the widow feels deeply seen by Jesus. It's as if it's just them. It's only after this, after he's offered comfort, that Jesus steps forward and touches the open coffin, halting the procession in its tracks. To touch the frame where the body lay, or to even touch the bearers who were carrying it, was to become unclean. Jesus took that risk, even if it meant, in the eyes of those watching, he would now be unclean. In verse 14, he addresses the boy, who had likely died just earlier that day. Young man, I say to you, get up. Luke highlights just how miraculous what happens next is, with the sentence, the dead man sat up and began to talk. The dead man sat up and began to talk. I mean, talk about an unusual end to a funeral procession. And the shock and surprise that the coffin bearers would have experienced, let alone the relief and shock that the mother felt. Just as with the healing of the centurion's servant, where one line is spared at the end to tell us of the miraculous event. Luke does not focus on the son who had just been raised from the dead. 
We hear that he speaks, but we don't know what he says. Luke's focus is elsewhere. And perhaps then we should also focus somewhere else. This leads me to look at the other central themes from these stories, compassion and faith. Jesus wasn't asked by anyone to perform this miracle. No one had petitioned him or come with a long list of requests. Nor was this miracle dependent on the faith of the one being healed. Neither the dead son or the servant was aware of what was going on around them. Instead, this example of Jesus' authority, the kingdom of God breaking in, came from a place of Jesus being moved with compassion. This story isn't the only place we see this pattern. The same Greek word for compassion, the moved to the bowels type feeling, appears throughout the gospel accounts. When Jesus approached the place where he fed the 5,000, Matthew writes, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. When Jesus was asked by a leper to make him clean, Mark records, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. When Jesus was approached by two blind men outside Jericho, Matthew's gospel says, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Where we see Jesus moved with compassion, we often see the miraculous wonders of God's kingdom breaking in as Jesus exercises the authority God has given him. This feeling, this deep visceral emotion that was felt, caused action. Jesus didn't just feel compassion, he felt it and let himself be moved by it. He let it drive his actions. Jesus didn't just heal people because he could, because God had granted him authority to do so. No, Jesus healed, he reached out, and he ministered in part because of this authority, but also because he felt for the person. So when we read of Jesus healing people in the Bible, we can be reassured that it wasn't just some kind of transactional exchange for Jesus. It came from a place of feeling because Jesus saw and felt. Compassion, when we acknowledge it, often moves people, just like we saw with Jesus, to acts of faith like the risk that the centurion took to acts of love. If we also want to see more of God's kingdom breaking in, in our local area, our schools, workplaces, and communities, I believe we need to open ourselves to also have our hearts moved with compassion. This isn't some kind of miracle super equation. 
being moved or not being moved by compassion doesn't mean that either God's kingdom will or won't come. But what I do see in this passage and in others throughout the Bible, such as when Jesus honors the woman with the alabaster jar, or when God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, is that Jesus' heart is one of compassion. God's heart is compassionate. And if we're seeking to become more like Jesus, then I also believe we're seeking to become more compassionate. As Caitlin mentioned, I've spent the last year serving as a voluntary pastoral assistant and have had the absolute privilege to spend that time working alongside Lucy, our wonderful compassion pastor, getting stuck in to all things storehouse and more as we try each and every day to partner with God to share his love and care for our community. When I started back in July last year, I had no idea how important this was to become. Some of you will know this already, but I consider myself to be quite a raging introvert. Um, I once tested 99% introverted, much to the amusement of my friend who was 99% extroverted. I may not be quite so introverted now, but there is a limit to how much socializing I can handle before I need to retreat and curl up by myself. My first couple of weeks as VPA were intense. And so when on a storehouse session, I'd prefer to be in the shed sorting donations, the methodical kind of job, rather than being in the session space where clients shop for food, because I didn't know how to talk to people that I'd never met before. Soon, however, Lucy was training me to be a team leader, and so she had me shadow her, and I began to spend time in the session space, helping to pack client bags as they shopped and exchanging the odd small talk here and there. I was soon a team leader, and then Lucy went on annual leave, effectively leaving me to run storehouse. I didn't have a shed to hide behind anymore nor someone with more experience than me who seemed to always have the right words to say. Don't get me wrong, this was hard. It challenged me and pushed me way out of any comfort zone I'd previously had. But you know what? I was surprised. For all my introversion and happiness to be by myself, I found that I truly deeply care about people. And God has been gently revealing his heart for people to me. Sure, I may not like to be around people all the time. I may not even like people all the time. But do I care? Absolutely. And does God care? Without a shadow of a doubt. Now, in the months where church life has been busy in other areas and I've not been on the storehouse rotor for a while, I miss it. I miss seeing the faces of these people as they arrive, of checking in and finding out how they're doing, getting the updates on their pets or their children. Sometimes that's all the conversation is. It's fairly surface level. But it opens up the ground to go deeper when that time comes. I'm not going to deny it, I still find the shed fun. 
And if I ever get the chance, you'll probably find me day-checking crates of baked beans. But I wouldn't choose the shed over the possibility of chatting with people, of sharing a bit of life with them, and walking alongside, helping practically wherever possible. This is what I think living with compassion looks like, and it's not always easy. There are so many days, more days than not, where I have to ask God to help me, to help me see people the way that he does, and to help me love them like he does. I don't always get it right. More often than not, I fall short and don't have the conversation I could have done or get distracted by the to-do list and the busyness of a session to see the person who might just need the interaction that day. But my heart and prayer is that God continues to show me his heart for people and that the nudges I get from the Holy Spirit become deeply embedded, that they're a natural response from me as I live life every day. Last July, Lucy gave an excellent talk where she outlined the vision and values for the KV Compassion Ministry. There are five values in total, but one that particularly stood out to me is transform. This underpins all the other values and echoes our heart and prayer to see our community transformed by the love and power of Jesus and to be transformed ourselves at the same time. For a fuller picture of what KV Compassion is all about, I encourage you to go and listen to this talk, especially if you missed it last year. To make it even easier for you, there's a handy link set up. So just visit kingdomvineyard.com forward slash compassion and it will take you right there. You could also speak to Lucy or myself. The more we open ourselves up to be moved with compassion, the more we offer God opportunities to transform the lives of those around us and for our hearts to become more in line with his. So, we've talked about having a compassionate heart. What then? Time to look at part two, a fruitful faith. Do you remember those risks I mentioned that the centurion took? The risk of making a statement of belief in Jesus' identity and authority for the sake of his servant. The risk to his standing and reputation just because he cared. In the vineyard, there's something of a saying that John Wimber popularized quite a while ago. It goes like this. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Those risks were acts of faith. The centurion's compassion moved him to an act of faith. It wouldn't have been enough for the centurion to believe that Jesus could heal his servant if he hadn't reached out and asked Jesus. Jesus' compassion moved him to an act of faith. He took a risk, a leap of faith in the miracles that he did because he was still fully human. The healings, 
the people he raised from the dead. These were done as Jesus the man, not as Jesus part of the Godhead. In verses 7 and 8, the centurion states why he has asked Jesus to heal his servant. For I myself am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. His recognition and statement of the authority that Jesus commands is a statement of faith. But this is more than just a recognition of Jesus' authority. It's a recognition of Jesus' identity, of who Jesus is. The centurion is responding to Jesus and not the miracle, which hasn't happened yet. He is seeking first the giver rather than seeking the gift. And Jesus responds in amazement. In verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Normally, in the scriptures and now, it's us being surprised and astonished by Jesus. This is one of those rare moments when Jesus himself is amazed, and that's a pretty good reason to pay attention. Last week, Toby asked us, what kind of tree are we? As a response to the verses at the end of Luke chapter 6. As followers of Jesus, we want to be living lives that produce fruit. And like Toby suggested last week, what we feed ourselves, how we spend our time, the people we look to, determines the fruit that we produce. I believe that the metaphor of a fruitful tree is helpful to us today as we think about compassion, faith, and our desire to see more of God's kingdom at work around us. I see a heart moved by compassion, a desire to love and see people the way that God does as the soil that our tree is planted in. It's the added nutrient-rich compost that gardeners give their fruit trees to try and get a plentiful harvest. And if a compassionate heart is the soil, then the acts of faith, the risks we take in inviting God into situations, to conversations and to workplaces, they're the fruit. The more we're in line with God's heart, the more fruit we produce. And if that means seeing more of God's kingdom breaking into the pain and suffering and darkness of our lives, and that of the people that we walk with, then I'm all for it. I want to see a bountiful crop of fruit. This starts with spending more time with Jesus to seek his face and his heart, to seek Jesus, not the miracle, the giver, not the gift. We can't suddenly wake up one day and decide to be extra compassionate, to have super patience and to love others in new ways. Trust me, I've tried. But we can ask God 
to be transforming our hearts into ones readily moved by compassion, with eyes to see and ears to hear what he is nudging us to. If we want to see the wonders of God, the likes of which we see Jesus do with the authority that God granted him in these passages, then we need to seek Jesus, to seek to be more like him, to abide with him. As John says, to remain in him, to become fruitful. If you're able, why don't you stand and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the love you have for each and every one of us. And we thank you for the way that you are transforming our hearts to, um, to see people the way that you do. Jesus, we thank you for the example you've given us. And Holy Spirit, we pray, will you come and move among us? Will you be planting, um, yeah, planting the soil that we need? May we see more of you at work. Amen.